So friends, some of you guys might be a little familiar with this movie. It's called The Goonies. Now, if you're not familiar with it, then that means I'm old. So all y'all should know it. (laughs) Ever. Come on. Now, my dad and I, we used to go to the movie theater. We'd see a movie. And then as we were leaving leaving the movie theater, my dad would grab me and we would sneak into another one. I'm not advocating that, okay? I'm not telling y'all to go hop in a bunch of movies. I'm just telling you how dad and I used to roll. It was wrong. That was not good, all right? All right? <laughs> but, but, but what would happen is we would jump in a movie, and it's kind of weird coming into the, a movie in, in the middle of the movie. You know, like, have you ever had a friend that comes over right when you're in the middle of the movie, and they start asking you, what's that mean? What is she doing? Why is that happening? It's just annoying, you know, like, but, but, but what really happens is it takes away from your ability to appreciate the climax. I mean, all of the introductions and the building of characters, all that helps you to really appreciate those small nuances that make the climax the climax. Well, today we're going to turn to Genesis 28. We're going to turn there and we're going to start in this chapter But we're going to get some of the background first. So if you could please now turn to chapter 28 in the book of Genesis. It's the first book of the Bible. And it's probably about 60 or so pages in. I know I said we're turning to chapter 28. But we're going to read the last verses from the previous chapter in chapter 27. And those verses are verses 41 through 46. So Genesis 27 starts by saying, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Sorry, let me pause. If you have never been here before and it's your first time, welcome. We are going through a series in Genesis and we've been going through each book. So now there's, there's been a lot of history built up until chapter 28, but I'm going to give you a quick snapshot into what we've covered. Play again. So, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Esau had a brother. It was prophesied that his brother Jacob, who was younger than him, would lead him. That's not supposed to happen. Firstborn is supposed to run everything. Unfortunately, his brother was conniving. He was so smooth that he stole his birthright. Then he stole his blessing. So Esau is extremely upset at this point because right now his brother is winning in every regard. And all he wants to do is see his brother killed. So we're not sure if he's trying. Now Esau is really strongly connected with his dad. And um, Jacob is really strongly connected with his mom, Rebecca. When Rebecca was told what her older son Esau had said, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, your brother is planning to avenge himself by killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. When your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him, I'll send word for you to come back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? 
Rebecca saying, hey, I've got, a, I've got two kids. Both kids are going to potentially be, be harmed. Hold on one sec. Do we need to pray for something? Everything okay? Okay, great. Lord, we do believe that parents are supposed to discipline. Would you lead Marvin during this time so that his son is able to grow in righteousness, Father? Um, let, it, let, it, let it add to your worship. Even now, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, y'all, but like we have an absence of fathers in our community. So for a man to step up and be willing to pour into his life, the life of his child, specifically a black man in his community, like we, we're going to celebrate that every time. So um, hopefully he's not beating them down, though. <laughs> so, so Rebecca's saying, hey, I've got two kids. I love them. One's, been, one's tricked another for sure, but I don't want to lose them. So I'm going to send one to go to his uncle's house. Being at his uncle's house, his uncle is responsible for caring for him. So even if the brother comes there, he's going to make sure that he's protected. He's going to try to squash the beef, if you will, make sure no fight happens. Because if Esau does kill his brother, he will either be killed himself or exiled from the community. That's, that's the consequence. So she's foreseeing his wrath allow her to lose both of her children. So she tells him, hey, I need you to go immediately. I want you to go now. But Jacob doesn't listen to her. I mean, if, if, if that was the case, it would have said, and then Jacob went. And then Jacob heard mom and left. But next, she says to Isaac, I'm disgusted with living because of these Hittite women. If Jacob takes a wife from among the women of this land, from Hittite women like these, my life will not be worth living. What does that seem to have to do with the prior text? Nothing. Which really reveals the heart of Rebecca. You see, Rebecca is taking, is taking her son and saying, hey, leave, your brother's going to kill you. But she can't go to her husband and say, hey, I think Esau might try to kill Jacob. Because then her husband will try to intervene, stop it, and Esau probably will still end up, end up killing Jacob. So what she does is say, look, the women around here are crazy. They are loose. I hate these women. I can't stand. If these women get any closer to my family, I'm going to go crazy. Hey, Isaac, our son might marry one of these women. You going to do something about that? So now Isaac's going to tell his son, hey, you need to get away from here. Because of these women, plays right into Rebecca's hand, right into her scheme. She doesn't care how she gets her son away. She just wants him to go so that the other brother doesn't kill him. So now we enter into Genesis 28. You got to have that background to understand where we're going. So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him. Then he commanded him, don't marry a Canaanite woman. Mom, Rebecca had that influence over him. This is the goal. It's, it's not for you to flee. He doesn't even know about the, about the killing component. He just wants him to make sure he doesn't marry a woman from Canaan. Do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go, go at once to Padan Aram, to the house of your mother's father, Bethlehem. Take a wife for yourself there, from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you. 
and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessing giving to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now reside as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob on his way, and he went to Padan Aram, to Laban, son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, who was the mother of Jacob and Esau. So this place that he's sending him to, Padan Aram, it's, it, is, it is similar to the place that Abraham uh, went to. It is a, it is a, it is a holy place, uh, um, uh, a, a very important place in the lineage of the family, and we're going to see that later. But he begins to say things that, that show that Jacob is more important than just a kid. He's now going to transfer the blessing that went from Abraham to Isaac, now to Jacob. If you remember back in Genesis 12, these type, this type of language was used as it talked about, as it talked about Abraham blessing you, making you fruitful, increasing your numbers, communities of people, meaning that through them all communities will be transformed, the nations will be affected. Well, well, this all causes all of us to stop for a second because you get to a point where you read the story and you say, okay, it seems like Jacob was pretty dishonest, seems like he was somewhat conniving, Seems like he manipulated some stuff. Rebecca, maybe not the most honest person. It feels weird me saying that because my wife's name is Rebecca. Forgive me, boo. Um, probably not the most honest. But then Abraham still transfers this amazing blessing to him. How, how does that happen? How does, how does this man who doesn't seem to be living uh, the life of integrity still receive this blessing from God? We'll, we'll, we'll answer that shortly. So then we move to Esau. So Jacob left. He went to this place. Now Esau learned that Isaac had blessed Jacob and had sent him to Padan Aram to take a wife from there, and that when he blessed him, he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman, and that Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and had gone to Padan Aram. Esau then realized how displeasing the Canaanite women were to his father Isaac. So he went to Ishmael and married Mahalatha. Mahalath. Mahalath, excuse me. The sister of Nebaioth and daughter of Ishmael, son of Abraham, in addition to the wives he already had. So this, this component is, is kind of showing us um, really how silly and how foolish Esau is. Because Esau, first off, doesn't know any other plot that his mom's doing to get his brother away. But then you'll see in verse 26 who Esau was married to. The very women that they're talking about that they don't want Isaac to marry. You see, Canaanites... It's just a smaller, it's, it's one of the 12 tribes, excuse me, the Hittites are one of the 12 tribes of the Canaanites. So the very women that she's getting mad about saying, hey, I don't want you to marry them, 
Brother Esau has two wives that are of that clan. Look in verse 26 down. It says, when Esau was 40-year-old, he married Judith, daughter of Bere, the Hittite. Also, Basemath, daughter of Elon, the Hittite. They were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. So you see how Rebekah played it a little bit. She's like, okay, look, I don't like these Hittite women. You see how crazy our one son's wives are. They kind of nutty. Do you want Jacob to have more wives like that? Then you need to send them away. Do, do you, but what's crazy is that Esau doesn't realize that his parents don't like his wives. I mean, that, that, that just seems a little foolish to me, that he wouldn't recognize, wait a minute, they don't want Jacob to marry a Hittite. Both of my wives are Hittites. Hold on. Wait a minute now. Like, it should have woke him up a little bit, you would think. Unfortunately, it doesn't. So what he tries to do to gain favor in the eyes of his parents is marry someone that's not a Hittite. So he runs and grabs this woman from the line of Ishmael. It's sad because all Esau wants is the favor of his father. He doesn't even know that his mother is displeased. It only says in verse 6, now Esau learned that Isaac had blessed Jacob and had sent him away not to marry a Canaanite woman. He just wants the favor of his dad. So the result of that is him going out and marrying someone. I pause for a second because, because, yeah, you look at him and you say, it might be a little foolish, man. You're going to run out and marry someone to get the favor of your dad. But what will we do for the favor of others? What, What type of insecurities dwell in us that we're not taking before the cross? That we, would, that we would do things that don't bring God glory so that other people may notice. There's no need, no need to, to isolate and single you out. But, but we go there so that you can single out those areas and bring them before the cross. To say, how much does peer pressure play a role in my decisions? In where I live? In who I date? in the church I go to. It's funny, I was talking to a brother from the community. He's like, yeah, man, you know, I, I came to y'all church and I felt, I felt love like none other. But y'all ain't got no gospel music. I don't know what my parents would say if I came to your church. What? <laughs> I get it. Sometimes I want to, you know, get my jam on too. You know, I, I love a little, I love a little boom bap, you know, some, some, Yeah, I love music too. But for you to recognize the love that you experienced and to negate it for fear of what others would think, that's one example. What's yours? I I pray that there are none, but if there are, be taking them to the cross so that they not have influence over you. So now we shift from brother Esau back to Jacob. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran, where he reached a certain place. He stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord. 
the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. So Jacob has his dream. And he, he, he lays down. And in this dream, he sees this tower, a ladder. We're not exactly sure how to describe it. But there's this, this vehicle that allows angels to ascend and descend. And that vehicle is, is communicating that, that angels are willing to protect this place. That God is here. So, so he's in awe. He's blown away. He's like, whoa, I left my parents' house. I'm sleeping on a rock and I find God. It's almost, it's almost the opposite of what he was to expect. Remember, he's being given the blessing. So having the blessing, he's also in his dad's house. His dad is wealthy, safe, living a life of abundance. And it's when he leaves that environment, is out on his own, can't find a place to stay, lays his head down on a stone. Y'all, what kind of pillow is that? A stone. And when he does it, He has an interaction with God, one where God shows him that I am in this place. We'll see a theme throughout the Old Testament where God is trying to show people where he dwells. So so there's the temple, the promised land. It's 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 in the mind of the of the of the Israelite. There's a location that I need to be in in order to experience God. I don't want you guys to miss that. There's a location I need to be in in order to experience God. That's the mind of the Israelite. The vision of the angels is an assurance of God's protection of Jacob, even though he's leaving home. So what what does God say? He says six times he speaks as a subject. He says, I am, I will protect, I will return, I will not abandon. I have done and I have promised. Six times Jacob serves as the object of God's declarations. But notice there's no rebuke for Jacob's past actions. It's interesting that God would respond to, 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 to this plea that is given, respond to this, these, these blessings that were spoken over Jacob from Isaac, it's interesting that God will respond even though he doesn't have the, the kindest heart. And I, I want that to challenge us all not to think that we can delight in sin and just choose our will over God. Not at all. But I wanted to remind you that your past does not dictate your future in Christ. What you have done does not withhold who God wants you to be and how he wants to use you in Christ. So if it could happen with a patriarch, with, with somebody who's like integral in the faith 
and we get to see all of his mess nice and up and close. If he could be used to continue to usher in God's kingdom, how about you? How about you? The phrasing God your father, Abraham, and God of Isaac signifies the lineage of blessing. It's funny, I was thinking about this even as the family was up here. How, I mean, in that row, we had four generations present now with beautiful Emma of, 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 of people living godly within Kelty's family. A lineage of godly living is now handed down to Jacob. Before, it was all about Jacob trying to get, attain, take the blessing. Now there's going to be a shift where it's not about what he's pursuing, but who he's become. He's now going to be a blessing. Do you limit how much God can use you based on your past or even based on some of the things you struggle with today? I pray not. So then Jake uh, just wanted to go over some of the some of those points that hit hard. I will give you and your descendants the land. Your descendants will be like dust of the earth. You will spread out, bless through you and your offspring. I am with you. We'll watch over you wherever you go. We'll bring you back to this land, this holy place where you've experienced me. I'll bring you back here. I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised you. And, it, and I know in our modern-day English language, we think of things in an, in an if-then clause, like, well, God, if you do this, then I'll do that. And even though it seems to be worded in that way in the last sentence, it's, that's not the impact that's coming here. It's, it's Isaac, excuse me, it's Jacob saying, wow, Lord, for all that you've done, let me respond in worship. You know, for, for all that you're going to do and all the many ways you're going to care for me, let me respond appropriately in worship. So he does. In 16, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. Again, remember that the thought of the Israelite is, this is the place where God dwells. Location and place is of the utmost importance. I saw a tower that showed me angels coming and going. God is definitely here. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head, and he set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. Again, worshiping just as his forefathers had done, as Abraham had done. He now takes what, what, what he rested his head upon and uses it to bring God glory. He called that place Bethel, which means the, the house of God. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey, I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Again, worship, saying, everything that I'm going to receive is yours. Let me, let me establish a pillar here from which my people will build out from. 
but also everything that I receive, I want to give you a portion of that. Please. Oh, and if she's not tripping either, y'all. I mean, she's not out of order. We welcome questions. Yep. So Carrie says he's struggling that in the midst of so much manipulation that God could continue to use him. And I, I want to say two things. First, that's our story. And we'll see later that God requires a desperate heart from all of us and that none of us are good enough to earn what God extends to us, his grace and mercy. So as nice as you might be, you got some messed up stuff in your heart, too. And how be it a merciful, beautiful, loving God that he would choose to still use you to bring him glory, a perfect being. You're right, sis. It looks jacked up. I think what we're supposed to learn from it is that, wow, if this could be if 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 in the midst of doing all that, this man could stop. And worship God fully. Stop. Build. uh, Use this pillar as a place to signify God's presence. And stand back in awe. And say how awesome is this place. Like recognizing who God is. If if he could change and begin to worship wholeheartedly. The hope is that we can too. I think that's a great question though sis. If we could, if you have your Bible, you can flip there. But I I wanted to put the scripture up for us. Because John is is recording for us an incident that Jesus has. And, And here he's speaking to Israelites. So Israel knows this history. They know Abraham. They know Isaac. They know Jacob. So he says, truly, truly, I say to you. You will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the son of man. He says that and that would have been like sirens in the room because every Israelite would have been like, wait a minute. You're talking about ascending and descending like like Uncle Jacob. Hold on. That's holy ground. You don't just play around with that one. You better be close to God if you're going to say something to that to that degree, to that magnitude. And that's exactly what he wants to communicate to them. He wants them he wants them to see that now the shift moves from it being a location. It moves from Jacob saying this place is most important. I got to get back to that place, which he will, which God will come through on his word and get him back there. But he wants us all to get that the place is no longer a physical location. The one who we are to try to get to is Jesus. That the presence of God dwells in him. So now it's a shift from how awesome this place is to how awesome this man is. This man, Jesus. And he's using this beautiful imagery. Just like we said, this, this, 
if you just read past that, that, that verse, 50, uh, chapter 1, verse 51, if you just read past that, you miss it. But if you have the background of the story, just like the background of a movie, now it starts to make sense. Jesus is saying, whoa, God does dwell among people. Look, he did it with Jacob, came, had an experience with him. He's witnessed things. Oh, God can dwell amongst us. He is here, but it's not in a place. It's in the form of Jesus Christ. So he now is the bridge between God and humanity. And it's beautifully coupled with with the same scripture that you see in Hebrews, where God is where Jesus is referred to as the great high priest. Again, on our behalf, going before the Father, stepping in as an, as, as an intermediary, as a bridge for us. When you couple the two of those together, it's a beautiful illustration of how Jesus serves as a fulfillment of a God-centered bridge, the God-centered nexus for, for humanity and God. Those same words that we saw back, back in, in, in the Old Testament, of what God is saying to Jacob. We hear those same words reverberate. We, we hear them powerfully through the text of the New Testament. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth. I am the bread of life. I will protect mine. Like a hen does her chicks, I will protect. I will return. We've just been talking through the entire Revelation series about Jesus' return. I will not abandon you. Endure until the end. Stay there. I will be with you. What I have done, what he accomplished on the cross for our sake, and what he has promised, the beauty of eternal life. You see, in the midst of, of, of Brother Jacob crying out to God, saying, God, when you do these things, I want to respond in worship. Typically, a vow like that only took place when you were at a point of desperation. And Jacob was at a point of desperation. He no longer had his family. He's sleeping outside on a stone. There's nothing but betrayal within his household. I mean, his dad kicks it off with betrayal. Because typically, dad invites every son into the room and says, hey, family, come about. I'm going to bless one child and pass it on. You guys celebrate him. Dad says, no, I'm just going to call Esau. Esau, can you go fetch some food and then come back so I can bless you? And in in telling his son to go fetch some food, that's when Rebecca takes advantage and says, oh, I'll send Jacob in to act as Esau. So Esau's trying to deceive and just bless one son. Rebecca's deceiving, just trying to bless one son. Jacob's deceiving his brother, and now Esau wants to kill his brother for deception. I mean, it's just a, a it's the perfect soap opera, y'all. We should call this like Guiding Genesis or, you know, like Days of Our Genesis. I mean, come on. I mean, it's the perfect soap opera for drama. And that God would still use people in the midst of that craziness shows a God who's truly loving and merciful. Shows a God who will continue to allow a remnant of his people to flow throughout the whole Old Testament. 
So he takes a vow when family's crazy, he's sleeping on a rock, and he's outside, away from everything he knows. But, but I want to ask you guys, what vow have you taken? What's your point of desperation? You see, we say desperation is based on the external. Oh, you lost your car. Your girlfriend broke up with you. And then your dog bit you on the baby toe. Man, stuff is bad, brother. I feel for you. Like, we, we say it's external. God looks at it and says, no, you could be CEO of the, the most wealthiest firm in all of Detroit. But if your heart doesn't cry out for me, then you're desperate. You are desperate. So I want to ask if you have, have, have cried out to God. Have you made a, God, a, a vow to follow God? If you have not, then we want to offer you that opportunity today. It really is simple. You simply state, even to yourself, Jesus, I believe you are holy and that I am a sinner. But I want to experience you. I want to experience the beauty of who you are. I want to repent and turn from my sinful ways and choose you. Instead of choosing me. That is that that is the that is the that's the call of being a Christian. But for some of us, we've taken that vow a long time ago. But the fight. We can start to lose a little steam. I mean, we can get into our routine, right? Like we got our Saturday Bible study and, you know, oh, we wake up to Christian music and, you know, we got the little Christian calendar where every day, pick off a day, you know, there's a Bible verse. But, but just because we're surrounded by Christian things doesn't mean we are desperately seeking Jesus. And I want to challenge us all to continue to be desperately seeking Jesus. Because the, enemy, the enemy's job is to fool us into thinking that Jesus doesn't exist. Or that we experienced him once, but don't need a continual renewal. Don't let him win, family. Will you guys pray with me, please, as the worship team comes forward and the tithe guys get ready?